my life for a long time. And something that we did in, in growing up, these are, these are some of my best memories uh, as a family. We would go all over the place to Taekwondo tournaments. And again, I would lose, but they were a lot of fun. You've seen a lot of things. You see a lot of other people who win. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't do very well. But one thing that we would do in Taekwondo would be sparring. And some of you may know what I'm talking about. Some of you may not. But it, it would be kind of, like, kind of like fighting in a sense. But you're, you're going for points. Um, and you would have hands pad, hand pads. You've had feet pads. You've had headgear. And you'd have a mouthpiece. And it was always about protection. Right? You're out there and you are hitting people and you are getting hit. But with the pads, it really wasn't that big of a deal. Until you start to get a little bit older. Uh, the older I got, the higher I got in rank. Uh, the sparring became more like real fighting. Real intensity. Right? And so I would go in there and again, I would lose. And it would hurt more and more. Well, it got to a point years, years later, when I was probably 21, 22 years old, where they told everyone over 18, said, okay, you have a choice you don't have to wear your headgear. Are you kidding? <laughs> and that was something that always blew my mind. Why in the world would you go into this ring without a headgear? And I remember the first, the first tournament that, that they made that rule and said you don't have to. And, and these, these two younger guys in, in, in the tournament, they went and they're 18 years old, and both of them, they rip their headgear off and throw it to the side. As soon as the judge says go, the other person does a spin kick and hits this guy right across the face. It's like, man, you should have had your headgear. <laughs> See, it didn't make sense to me back then to go into a battle not prepared, not protected. And the reality is, and what Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, it doesn't make sense from a Christian perspective either. Paul tells the church at Ephesians, at, the, at Ephesus, that when they go into life, when they go into battle, they should be prepared. They should be protected. They should be ready. When we look at Ephesians, and just kind of a short review of what we're talking about in Ephesians, really Ephesians as a book, it can be split into two halves. You have the first half, which is 1 through 3, chapters 1 through 3, and then the second half, which is chapters 4 through 6. And currently, we're going through Ephesians in the youth. And I've broken it up, I've said, really, you can use two words to describe the halves. The first word, chapters 1 through 3, is identity. Paul tells us who we are in Christ. That now that we know Christ, we're no longer who we used to be. Like that song that was just saying, we've been redeemed. And with redemption comes change. It comes a different life. You've been changed. Chapter 1, he says you've been adopted, implying that we were orphans beforehand. Chapter 2, he says you were dead and now you're made alive. We were dead without Christ. Chapters 1 through 3, he says this is who you were. This is your identity now though in Christ. Then chapters 4 through 6, and the word we're using this semester going through these chapters, is activity. Paul says who you are in Christ should reflect in your day-to-day -day activity. In your practical life, this is what the gospel should do. Paul is writing, addressing how the gospel should affect our lives. In the most practical ways, the gospel truth should be seen in our churches, in our marriages, in our families. It's not just coming on a Sunday morning and say it's good enough. It should be seen in your family. It should be seen in your day-to-day -day practical life. In chapter 6 in Ephesians, he finishes it with a call to battle and a reminder. In church, the reminder is that this life is a battle. This, this life is a battle and it's raging as long as this life continues. It goes on and on and on. And Paul is bringing them to that reminder. And he reminds Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. He says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. 
The church is not a theater. It's not a playhouse. It's not a club. It's a barracks. It's a barracks where we come and we energize and we strategize how to face the battle ahead as the church. That's the purpose of the church. That is what we do here. We are soldiers in a war. And Paul instructs us on how to face it. Paul instructs us in Ephesians chapter 6 on how to prepare for that battle. And he shows us and tells us three things that we're going to see this morning in Ephesians chapter 6. The first thing he tells us in verse 10, he says, Know the source of your strength. If you've ever studied history, I love history, when you study battle, it does take strategy, but it also takes strength. Strength in numbers, strength in arms, it takes strength. And Paul says in our battle, it's no different. He starts there in verse 10, if you look there. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. He finishes, starts to finish this letter, which we know it wasn't broken up into chapters or verses. This is a letter, so Paul is, is wrapping it up. He's winding this letter down. And he uses the word finally. Now, when we use this word finally, I think in day-to-day -day, day -day life, we, we use it normally in a negative sense. Okay? Picture with me, you're at a restaurant. You've not ate all day. And you're there, you've ordered something and they take 10 minutes longer than you think they should. How do we respond to that? We get upset, right? It's the worst thing ever when that happens. Am I the only one this happens to? You're all kind of just staring at me like, no. No, we're patient. We, we say, take your time, it's fine. No, no, we're not, right? We're selfish, we all are. Right? When, when they finally get the food there, whether you say it out loud or not, normally we think of the word, finally, right? It's finally here. That's not the way that Paul is using this word. He's not saying, finally, I get to wrap this letter up. Finally, I get to stop writing. Paul is saying, finally, as this is the rest that I have to tell you. In other words, Paul is saying, I've saved the best for last. I've saved the most important for last. This word, finally, it means what is remaining. And also, it speaks of continuance. It means for the rest of the future. This command that Paul is fixing to give the church, this instruction that Paul is fixing to give the church, means it continues. It doesn't stop. It carries the idea of continuous. What Paul is about to command is one of a continual nature. It's not to ever stop. It's not a command that you take and say, well, I should start living that way, and then you do it for a while, and then you stop. Paul says, no, this is something that we continually do. We continually go this direction, and this is the command that he gives us. First, saying, knowing the source of our strength, he says, first and foremost, be strong in the Lord. This may seem like the Sunday school kind of common answer. If someone says, where do we find our strength from in God? Or where do we find our strength from in the Christian life? Someone say, might say, well, we find it we find it in God. We find our strength in the Lord. And that's what, that's what Paul says here. But see, in the Christian life, it's kind of this conundrum. It, it, Paul presents this interesting truth that, that is in a couple different places in Scripture. When we think of something like sports, we have, have sports fans in here, I'm sure. I'm, I'm a baseball fan, ma mainly, but I, I like all sports. When we think of someone wanting to get better at sports, what do, what do we say? If you're a coach, you say, well, you've got to train harder, right? If you have someone who wants to become stronger, you say, well, you've got to lift more weights. You've got to train harder, right? You've got to do more. You've got to get better on your own. You've got to work at it, right? When I was working, before I was working at the church, I was working, working at Price Cutter working in the meat department, they were, they were training me, uh, training me to, be, to be a butcher, to, to be kind of the main butcher and, and take over a guy's spot. And I remember going there, and I'd, I'd done some butcher work before, but nothing, nothing like that. 
And, and, and there's a time frame. There's a time frame. You have to get it all done. We would do beef at this point, and then we do pork at this point. And you have to get it done in this time frame. And I remember just feeling like it was taking forever. I couldn't go fast enough. And, and my boss, Brian Tony, he told me, man, just, just keep going. Keep working harder. You're going to get stronger. You're going to get faster. You're going to get better. And sure enough, that's, that's what happened. In every area of our life, when it comes to sports, when it comes to job, when it comes to work, we say you can get stronger on your own. Paul says in the Christian life, our strength isn't found in ourselves. It's not found in, in us just trying harder or being better. He said our strength, our source of strength comes from God. It comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from within us. It comes from within Him. This is so strange to us because every area of our life, we don't think this way, do we? We don't think that, that we are strong or we don't think that we've got to find our strength somewhere else. We think, well, I've just got to try harder. I've just got to get stronger. Paul says you can't. You can't on your own. You find your strength in God. To be strong in this Christian life is to find your strength in the Lord. And this is something that Paul dealt with personally. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8-10, through 10, dealing with this thorn that Paul talks about in chapter 12. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. To find our true strength, we have to relinquish the strength that we think we have. Because church, we don't have it. You are not strong enough on your own to face the battle out there. You are not strong enough on your own to go out there and face the things that we're going to face in this life. You're just not. Paul says, find your strength in the one who can give it to you. Find your strength in the Lord. He says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. And this speaks of, of God's strength. See, our strength, it's limited. Okay? If I were to get down and do push-ups, there would be a limit to it. Probably an embarrassing limit to it. There would be a limit though, right? Whatever it is, 12, 10, 20, 30, whatever it is, there's a limit. In, in life, facing situations, facing circumstances, there's a limit to my strength. But when we're talking about the strength that we have in the Lord, there is no limit. There's no limit to Him. That word strength that we see there in verse 10, if you look at it, it, it speaks of God's power, but it also speaks of His dominion. We believe that God is sovereign. We believe that He has dominion over this world, over creation, over everything that we see. It says, be strong in the strength of His might. That word might, it means ability. God is able. Amen? He is strong. He is able. Paul says, find your strength in the one who is capable. Don't depend on yourself. Don't depend on any strength you have in yourself. Find the source of your strength in the one who truly has it. He says, one, find your strength from the Lord. And then 2, verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. And that word, put on there, okay? it means to sink into clothing or to clothe oneself. So, so it carries the idea of, of clothing yourself, putting a t-shirt on, putting, putting clothes on. And, and here Paul says, and so often we see in Scripture that, that we're told to cast things off, to throw things aside. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 tells us to do that, to throw our old self away, to throw the old man away. But here Paul says to put on. We're told to put on the entire armor of God. 
This word speaks of being clothed like putting on a shirt. And we all have different clothing sizes in here. You know, that's one big difference between me and Devin. Does everyone know who Devin is, my, my identical twin brother? I, I feel like I have to say that every, every time because there's always confusion in between me coming up here and, and speaking and preaching. There's been so many confusions and problems with Devin, with youth. It's, it's, it's kind of funny. Real quick, a real quick story. Devin, the other day, he went through Brahms with, with Lisa, a different woman, of course. And he, and he went through there, and the, the guy went up to the window and said, What's up? Really loud. And the guy realized immediately, this isn't Damon. He didn't know what was going on, but he knew this wasn't Damon. So, so Devin talked to him, and he took his order and everything. And Devin said that he told Lisa, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask him about it. I'm going to press him on this. So, so he came back to the window and then said, so uh, you know my brother Damon? He said, no. No, no. I don't know him. <laughs> and he said, you don't? He said, no. He said, youth pastor at Southside? No. No. Don't, don't know him. And this is a kid that clearly knows me. Two days later, I went through the drive-thru. He knew me, talked to me. All kinds, of, all kinds of stuff. It's a, it's a funny thing. But me and Devin, one of the biggest things and differences between us is, is shirt sizes. He, he's always been a little bit smaller than me. I've always been a little bit bigger. We have different clothing sizes, right? I'm not going to be able to fit into a smaller shirt or even a bigger shirt. But here Paul says this armor of God, it is one size fits all. This is something that all of us as Christians, we should be willing to put on and able to put on. This isn't just for the pastor. This isn't just for the Sunday school teacher. This is for any Christian. He says, put on the entire armor of God. It is one size fits all to all. The command is for us to find our strength in our God and the strength of His might and to prepare for battle by putting on the entire armor of God. And then he finishes there, so that we may stand. This is important. There's a purpose behind this, behind us searching for strength through God and, and putting on the armor of God so that we may stand. So that we can stand individually, stand before those who are opposed to the gospel, so that we can stand and be willing to keep our families and our churches intact, so that we can stand and establish this church and to establish ministry to reach out to this community. To do this, church, we have to find our strength in the one who has it, and we have to put on the entire armor of God. We have to. Paul is, is saying this is, this is not something that you just do for a little while and stop. This is something you continue in. This is something that's extremely important for you to remember. Find your strength in the Lord and put on the entire armor of God. And we may be asking why. Why is this such a big deal? And that's what leads us to the second point that Paul brings out. Why it's such a big deal is because Paul says we are always under attack. First point, he says, know the source of your strength. And then secondly, know your enemy. Verse 11, we'll read that real quickly. Read verse 11 and verse, well, just verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Against the schemes of the devil. We should be willing to find our strength in the Lord and be putting on the armor of God because who our enemy is. The devil. That word schemes. We look at that word, it means, and maybe in, in King James I think it says wiles, but it carries the idea of deceit or trickery. Satan's goal is to deceive us as Christians. He can't have us, so he is going to deceive us. That is his goal. That is what he wants. Jesus speaking of Satan in John chapter 8 verse 44. Jesus says, You belong to your father the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. 
For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. For he is a liar and the father of lies. And Paul says, we find our strength in the Lord. We put on the whole armor of God because our enemy is constantly working. He is constantly scheming because that's who he is. That's his nature. Jesus says that he's a murderer. His native tongue, it's lying. That's what he does. He is constantly seeking to deceive us. James chapter 1 speaks of temptation. And it speaks of temptation in kind of a different way from, from what we're used to talking about temptation. It, it, James says there's two sources of temptation. He says, one, it comes from within us, our own fleshly sinful desires. But, but two, it also comes from outside circumstances. The picture that James is painting is that of fishing. Do we have any fishermen in here? A few of us? No? Okay, one, Clay, woo, one person. Okay, I know we have several fishermen in here. The idea of fishing is catching fish, of course, right? I know sometimes that doesn't happen, but that's the idea. That's the goal. The, the idea of, of fishing is you, you place a bait there to catch a fish, and that's the word picture that James is painting. He says you have two things going on with fishing. You have one, the desire of the fish. The fish wants the bait. The fish wants to latch on because of the bait. And that's the second thing, the bait. The idea of catching certain fish is having a certain type of bait. You want lures that, that are shiny, that spin, that look good, that have certain food on them, right? You're trying to make it as attractive as possible. And James says that is how Satan operates in temptation. He is going to place what is attractive in front of us to trick us, to deceive us. And Paul says we must be ready because he is constantly working. And then verse 12 he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Verse 12, we get into the truth behind our struggles. Going through difficult times in this life, it's not material. It's not material things. If, if someone is giving you a difficult time, if, if you're being persecuted by someone, they're simply a vessel. The real enemy is spiritual. Satan and his demonic power. They are constantly working because they know their time is short. If Satan can't have you, he will deceive you. He will trick you to make you ineffective. And that's why Paul says we must put on the whole armor of God. We must be constantly ready because of who our enemy is. And the whole armor of God accomplishes two things. One, it gives us to the ability to withstand the attack from the enemy. We are ready for it. We are prepared. We are ready to defend. But also, too, when you're thinking of armor, when you're thinking of a battle, it gives us the ability to increase God's kingdom, to push the front line forward. I love Matthew chapter 16, Jesus speaking to His disciples. It's Peter's first confession of Christ there in Matthew. And Jesus asks His disciples, well, who do the people say that I am? And, and they, they say, well, either John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the other prophets. And Jesus says, okay, but who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus tells him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. And he says, Your name is Peter. And he says, On this rock I will build my church. And he's speaking about him being the Messiah. He says, That's the truth my church will be built on. Me, who I am. But then he goes on and he says, And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against my church. That's an interesting passage when we see how Jesus lays it out there and says that. The purpose of gates is to keep someone out, right? You have a gate, you have a fence, you want to keep things and people out, right? Jesus says the church is supposed to be on the offensive. 
That there's nothing that should be shutting us out as we move the kingdom of God forward and share the gospel with our community. He says we're not only supposed to be on the defensive, but we're also supposed to be on the offensive. And Paul says we have to put on the armor of God. And that's the third thing he gets us to. He says, one, know the source of your power. Two, know your enemy. And three, know your armor. He says in verse 13 there, he says, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. This is, this is repetition. Paul has already said this. We know that repetition, it's a literary device to give emphasis. Paul is emphasizing this point. He says, put on the whole armor of God. He emphasized taking up all of it so that we might stand firm. And this is an interesting thing. He, he says first, put on the whole armor of God. Then he says, take up. This is, this is personal. This is something that each one of us individually must be doing and willing to do. Ephesians chapter 4, just a couple chapters before, tells us that the purpose of the pastor, the purpose of the minister is to equip the church. And we've talked about this before. Brother Jim, I know, has talked about this before. His purpose is to equip you. Not, not to please you, not to tell funny jokes, although he does a good job at it. Right? It's to equip you. It's to prepare you. My job as a youth pastor is to equip the youth, to prepare them so that they may be able to stand. But see, there's something else that we have to be seeing in that relationship. It takes a church who is willing to take that. It takes a church who is willing to hear that message and to equip themselves. It takes each one of us individually looking at this armor of God and saying, I'm, I'm going to put it on. I'm going to wear this out. And I'm going to be prepared for the battle. Paul says, be prepared. Verse 14, he starts to describe this armor so that we may know what it is. He says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, this belt of truth. Oftentimes a soldier, they, they would have a tunic under, under their armor. And this tunic, it would be, it would be loose, it would be free-flowing. And, and going into battle with, with loose clothing, this, this would be seen as a hindrance and even dangerous to, to think about defending or attacking and getting caught up. And so what the belt would do is it would, it would kind of cinch everything together. It, it, would, it would bring clarity, so to speak, to the situation. Paul says in the same way as, as Christians, as people, when we believe in the truth of the gospel, it brings clarity to our lives. It brings everything together so that we can understand this is the truth. This is the message that we should be committed to. We're, not, no, we're no longer committed to ourselves. We're no longer committed to what we used to be. Now we're committed to the truth of the gospel. That's the starting point. That's where we all should start. What changes our hearts and what changes anyone's hearts is an understanding and a commitment to the truth of the gospel. Believing this is the truth. Paul says that is the belt of truth. He goes on, he says, the breastplate of righteousness. Now we know what a breastplate is, a chest protector. This protected the chest, all the vital organs. And the most important of any vital organ would be the heart. Paul is speaking here of living a righteous life to guard our hearts against ungodliness and immorality. We are to go out and to live for Christ in our day-to-day -day lives, practically living a holy life devoted to Christ. Running from ungodliness, running from unrighteousness. He says that's the breastplate of righteousness. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Verse 15, he says, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Shoes for your feet. Let me ask you, if you're a runner in here, would you go run a marathon wearing flip-flops? No, right? Most of us are like, I wouldn't go run a marathon no matter what I'm wearing. Okay? Let me ask this, this may hit more of you. Would you go work a muddy day 
with cattle wearing Crocs. Anyone, everyone know what Crocs are? It's a disgusting thought, isn't it? Several years ago, I was, I was working uh, some cattle, doing, doing a cattle sale with my wife's family, and it was, it was just an awful muddy mess. Like, like three feet of mud is what it felt like. And, and that's what I thought of when I was thinking of that. I can't imagine showing up in Crocs on that day. I would be looked at as the biggest idiot. Showing up like, all right, I'm ready. Right? You, you wear shoes prepared for the circumstance. And Paul says in the same way the soldier, they wouldn't wear shoes that were loose or broken. They would wear shoes that, that would allow them to move, would allow them to be agile and quick. And he says, for us as the Christian, what does this mean? It means that we are quick to share the gospel. We are ready to speak and share the gospel to those around us. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 says, Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Be ready. Be ready with the gospel. As an opportunity presents itself, and they are out there. He says, be ready. Be ready to act and share the gospel. Verse 16, he says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This speaks of difficult times or difficult circumstances we're going through in our life. What overcomes that is our faith. As we go through those difficult times, again, it is Satan scheming. That's what he says here. Shooting arrows at us, hoping, hoping to, to hit us, hoping to, to cripple us. But the greater faith we have, the greater shield we have, the greater we're able to defend and stop those. When we're going through those circumstances, having that faith, it's a faith, faith that God will work out all circumstances for our good and His glory. It's a belief that no matter what comes in this life, God is in control. No matter what happens, no matter how difficult it gets, God is in control. And finally, verse 17, he says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The helmet of salvation, I think we could say for any soldier, the helmet would be the most important part. As I said a few minutes ago, speaking of Taekwondo, the, the helmet to me was the most important part. If I was going to lose anything, it would not be the helmet. The helmet protects. The helmet is, is the part that protects us the most. And Paul says what that is, is our salvation. Our salvation in Christ is our protection. To be saved is to be protected in Christ. He is our salvation and our protection. And then finally, the sword of the Spirit. And this is our main offensive tool in our battle. For each and every one of us individually to know the Word of God and to know it well. We have more resources now than we ever have to get the Word of God into our lives. Thousands of translations, thousands of resources that we can go to and we can look up for free. And Paul says, know the Word. Take up the sword of the Spirit. And finally, verse 18 there. He says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. He finishes this section speaking of the whole armor of God. He says, yes, take up all these things. Be prepared for this battle. But most of all, pray. Church, we should be praying. We, we should be praying as we go out and we face the battles that we're going to face. Not only should we wear the armor, but we should be praying to the one who can provide protection for us, who can help us, who can give us the strength that we need. It says, church, you should be praying, and church, we should be praying. So as we close this morning, I just want to ask you and challenge you. Personally, have you looked at that list? 
Have you gone through and looked at that list and say, okay, am I doing this? Am I doing everything I can day to day to take up this piece of armor or this piece of armor or this piece? Because church, you're going to go out there and you're going to face the battles. The battles will be there whether you're ready for them or not. Paul encourages and he says, be ready, be prepared. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning, God. I thank you for everything that you've given to us, Father and Lord. This, this word that we see in Ephesians 6, God, to take up the whole armor of God, to be prepared. God, we know that the battles are, are raging. God, we know that the enemy is active. But God, you've given every, every tool, every weapon that we need to face it head on. God, I pray for this church. I pray that, that they would be prepared. God, that, that we would all be prepared for anything that, that's in the future, God, that's going to be a battle, that's going to be a struggle. Father, we know that no matter what happens, you're in control, and that you love us and you care for us and you're there for us. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for everything that you've given to us, Father. And most of all, we thank you for Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. He would stand with us. Thank you.